Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we have a guest who is a member of the BFG Financial Advisors family. Zach Scott is a financial advisor, certified financial planner practitioner, and has been with BFG since 2014. He's also a registered millennial, which means in my Gen X head, he's still the kid in the office. That said, we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the things that we can expect to impact retirement be due to the current pandemic, due to the COVID-19, uh, and how the world may change a little bit, some ways for the better, on the other side. Zach, welcome to the show. Good morning, Eric. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun because you and I have had dozens, if not hundreds, of conversations um, that really do pit generation versus generation, and they've always been fun and lively, so I expect today to be no different. Before we do that, can you tell uh, our audience, our listeners, a little bit about you uh, and a little bit about how you got into this business? Sure. So, um, I... I originally was a finance major at Loyola University in, in Maryland, in Baltimore, and uh, actually met Eric at an Orioles game. Um, and before you knew it, I was an intern with with BFG starting in 2014, and uh, studied with Eric and worked with Eric quite a bit, and became a CFP. And now I'm starting to handle clients on my own as a as a lead advisor with the firm. That's that's excellent. Um, and and you know Zach does incredible work, and it's nice to have different voices in the room when we do our financial plans for clients. So let's talk a little bit about first retirement. Um, we, we've been phrasing retirement or reframing retirement as a graduation uh, on our show now for two years. And one thing I know about graduations is in 2020, there aren't any. All of the graduations of every level of school have been essentially canceled. There will be an entire, if not generation, an entire class of 2020 that doesn't actually graduate. And so metaphorically speaking, I'm wondering if what we're going through right now economically and from a healthcare perspective may also be canceling retirement for some folks. Um, so, so let's break this down. Um, what are you advising particularly millennial clients right now uh, to do uh, with regards to their own retirement planning uh, in the wake of what's happening? Sure. So um, the first thing that I'm making sure uh, of with all of my clients is that they're their jobs are secure and there's no impact on cash flow, first and foremost, because we want to make sure that in this current situation, they have a proper emergency fund. Um, you never know what's going to happen. And it's important to make sure that you have cash on the sidelines in case something comes up uh, that you need to pay for right away. Other than that, if the client in particular is you know, able to work from home and continue their employment as if nothing happened, while their account values may be down and that may not be fun to look at, um, this does present itself as an opportunity in terms of market values right now because stocks are so low and our time horizon to retirement is so long. This really could be a, a time where we could take advantage of that. Um, and also, I, I've been advising clients to look at avenues to put money away where it is never taxed again and to try to get compounded growth in those sort of uh, retirement vehicles. That's excellent advice. And, um, and and taxes are something we're going to talk about in a little bit, because at some point, when you have a multi-trillion dollar stimulus package that's borrowed, at some point, we're going to see taxes be impacted and, and likely not in a very pretty way for folks who are higher income or, or higher net worth folks. So from a retirement standpoint, 
Gen Xers in this particular case, we're, we're an awful lot like the millennials in the sense that we still have a pretty long runway to retirement. And I know there's the, an entire fire movement trying to become financially independent and retire early. Uh, I do think this is going to put a cramp in some of those some of those plans for sure. But where the Gen Xers are concerned, this could be the greatest opportunity of our generation to, uh, to, to make hay, essentially, and to make sure that we stay the course and to make sure that we take advantage of whatever recovery happens. It's the boomers who I think in this particular case are most likely to take this on the chin. And the reason I say that is that back in 2008 and nine, when we had the market correction and the Great Recession, the folks who were five years or so to retirement wound up having to delay their retirement for, in some cases, five to 10 years. Some of them are retiring or trying to now. Uh, and it seems like this is yet another roadblock for a group that really is trying to hit that financial independence mark. Um, we have certainly done our best to insulate um, boomer clients from that type of downward market momentum, um, but this could delay some retirements. For people who are already retired, I desperately hope that everyone who's listening has already made sure that their portfolio was ready to weather a storm, even one of this magnitude, because it's really the, the horse has left the barn, so to speak. There's, it's, it's too late to start moving things around now. And so for folks who are, who are on either fixed income or who, have, um, who, are, who are making withdrawals from their accounts, I desperately hope you have five years worth of uh, income or of fixed income securities to help you. So that's the retirement outlook. I, I think the rosy one is for the folks with the long runway and the less rosy one is for folks who are looking to retire soon and, and maybe haven't planned properly for it. Um, on the other side of this, Zach, how do mm -hmm. you think this is going to impact, if at all, the way people think about long-term investing or long-term savings. Do you think this will have any kind of impact on the psychology of investing for the long-term? I'm not quite sure in terms of you know how people save, if that might be as impacted, but I think that you know, a lot of my friends personally invest in a lot of individual stocks. And you know, while while that may be beneficial in the short term, I think that people should seriously consider trying to become more diversified and not treating it as a game because it's really not it's you're you're saving this money for for some goal and if that's if that's really the case you want to make sure that you're you're smart about what you're doing and that you're not just placing all of your chips on one number if you will uh, so definitely trying to spread out your risk a little bit more I, I think makes a lot of sense and also I think really and I know we're gonna hit taxes in a little bit but uh, given what you said about the the stimulus plan, uh, I really think it's going to make a lot more sense to continue to put money away in accounts like Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, where clients will never have to pay taxes again, given the current tax code. So let's let's shift a little bit. You, you mentioned that one of the key determinants to the advice that you're currently giving, particularly younger clients, but frankly, all clients is related to the, their continuing income. Mm -hmm. We're looking at um, a, a massive spike in unemployment claims, some of which are uh, hospitality workers, folks in the in the travel industry or in you know hotels or restaurants or places where potentially um, th this is a temporary, hopefully a temporary disruption. But some of them are businesses that are that are either going out of business or or may not reopen in their same way. Um, medical offices are closing. Uh, dentist offices and and various specialists that aren't critical care are are furloughing or laying off employees. So these are some high paid in some cases and skilled workforce members. Um, 
how do you look for a job in this current environment without it being that you're going to deliver for, for Amazon or, or Walmart or something? How do you look for a job in this environment? And how do you think that's going to change post-crisis? Sure. Well, I think a lot of job applications right now are entirely virtual. I have one friend in particular, we graduated school together, who has already completed five or six Zoom interviews. While I'm sure that's not the case for everyone, it's quite hard to find find a job right now, especially in the financial field. I think you're going to see a lot more of that where you may not need to even even live in the physical location where the, the job that you're applying for might be located, um, as long as you're able to work from home and you know use tools like Zoom and other video conferencing applications. And as long as you're able to do you know from home what you can do typically in the office, that might be a, a drastic change that we see in the job market. And, and while that may, that may sound great, there, to me, there is a little bit of a downside there because I, I really do enjoy... Uh, the personal aspect of of working with coworkers, working as a team, and and things of that sort, and, and collaboration in general. But I think you're going to see a lot more online virtual interviews, even doctors' appointments. Like you mentioned, Eric, how doctors are really sort of shutting down right now. If you're just going for your basic checkup to the doctor, you may not need to go in. You may be able to find more efficiencies uh, just by scheduling either a Skype or a Zoom interview if everything's fine. I mean, you know, if, if you're not feeling ill and you just need your annual checkup with your doctor or dentist or, you know, you're not going in for a particular reason, we may see efficiencies in that from that standpoint as well. Zach, I, I can understand telemedicine for some basics, but my dentist is not going to walk me through cleaning my teeth. I'm just not letting that happen. In fact, I'm not doing I'm not doing my own root canal under any circumstances. So, so healthcare healthcare is one of those spots where yes, we're going to see some some moves to virtual. Business is definitely the same way. Um, I I do think there's going to be a dramatic shift in um, in how people work because one mm-hmm. of the things that we're learning now is that some industries, many can't, but some industries are perfectly fine and can be incredibly efficient um, in a virtual setting. And while I agree the social, uh, social aspects of, of working together are, are really nice, um, we might see more telework, we might see more um, flexible schedules. I mean, I think on the other side of this, we're going to know that it's possible for employees to work from home to be efficient and effective, and that could change things like childcare costs it could it could change things like traffic you know if if 20 percent of the american workforce begins to work virtually at least some of the time it will create less traffic congestion less um, less pollution less um less time spent slash wasted in a commute where you're sitting on a beltway or a highway i mean that that that's one thing i don't miss whatsoever about uh, the normal so to speak work world is sitting in the car and so I, I think there's going to be some changes there. Some businesses are going to thrive through this and find efficiencies. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to cause reduced headcount, though. Um, in fact, it might allow for more hiring if there's less being spent on things like office space. Do, do you think that, that, that it's possible this could lead to actually more hiring? I think there's absolutely an opportunity for that, especially in fields like what we do. Because a lot of, I mean, I'm seeing... I'm right now I'm holding the vast majority of my meetings with clients via Zoom or teleconference and we're really not missing a beat. We're able to be as efficient if not more efficient especially when 
you know, the client's right on their computer and we're working together. We're able to look things up live as we're able to see each other and, and share screens and everything. So while there's absolutely value in, in meeting in person, I think there's also an incredible amount of efficiency that we may not have realized existed before with these virtual virtual meetings and, and that sort of setup. So absolutely, I think this could absolutely permanently change the landscape of how we do business in general. So these are some of the positives, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, some of this is efficiency. Some of it is possibly um, additional employment opportunities. I, I mean, you know, I could take a job in Albuquerque or San Antonio. It doesn't matter where I live necessarily. Let's talk about how that impacts one of Americans' investors' favorite topics, which is real estate. Because I see this as having a snowball effect on certain sectors of real estate, both residentially and commercially. Residentially, if, if working remotely becomes more uh, second nature and more common, it will create less moves for jobs, which, again, some employers are paying relocation packages and other things that could stop. So that's a good thing. But if people aren't mobile or they aren't moving, there'll be less transactions in the real estate space and quite possibly less demand for buying homes, which could impact residential real estate adversely. Is that, I mean, am I, am I barking up the right tree there? Do you see that too? I would completely agree. And I'm actually in that boat. You know, I'm 28 years old. I'm engaged and I rent. Uh, I, and I really don't have plans to buy a home in the immediate future. And I don't know if that's as much to do with uh, the current situation as I, I think it has to do with just flexibility in general. There seems to be a lot that goes with owning a home that um, has expenses that you may not automatically assume exist uh, going into it, where renting, like I said, there's a lot lot more flexibility. And if you have a good landlord, which is key, a lot of those projects or things around the house um, that get become broken, they're supposed to handle it for you. So that could absolutely be beneficial and could create, again, more working efficiencies. If that's not a something that I need to worry about, I can focus on my not only my day-to-day tasks for work, but also be more involved with my family and, and things of that sort. So residential real estate, which already you know, millennials really are just starting to buy homes. There really are a lot of millennials that haven't. And of course, Gen Z, which is bringing up the rear here and, and still going to spring break when they shouldn't and doing dumb things like kids do. Um, you know, the, the question here is, are they going to be looking to buy homes? And, uh, and there might be even more of a push to not buy and to rent and to stay flexible. So that's sort of an interesting take on, on real estate, which means if there is a greater demand for rentals, then there could be a greater opportunity in owning rental properties or apartment complexes or those pooled investments that do that. Um, And that's on the residential side. Let's talk about commercial. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in the same way that owning a, a house is expensive, owning a commercial building is expensive. And even if you're renting, um, one of your highest costs as a business owner um, can be rent. If more people are working virtually um, and more meetings are happening virtually, are we going to, and let's use BFG as an example, are we going to need as much physical space or are we going to see some efficiencies created by firms that can either downsize or go completely virtual or have, you know, two satellite offices that are small instead of one sort of mothership? Like, how, how will this impact commercial real estate in your opinion? Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't want to discredit the the value that comes with 
you know, working as a team in person, because while while the tools that we have right now, like Zoom and Skype, they're incredible and they've allowed us to continue um, to work as as we do in the office. It's there's still something special about uh, working as a team, but I, I in person. But I would agree, you know, maybe some of the traditional office space where there are desks and computers could eventually be converted into team meeting space. So people might come into the office um, not to do their necessarily their daily uh, job, but if they have some particular reason to, if we're meeting as a group, for example, uh, like we do every other Thursday to review our upcoming meetings, or you know, we may transition also into more conference space for clients in general, uh, because I think there still is a lot of value in that client re- relationship in person, even even with millennials. So let's let's um, pivot here because mm-hmm. one of the one of the pavers on the road to retirement or the road to graduating here is education and education, which uh, historically has been pretty linear, where folks go through K to twelve and then college and then potentially grad school and then apply for jobs and it's the, it's sort of this um, it, it's truly a linear experience. Um, I think we may see some significant changes in not only the delivery of, but the timing of education as a result of this. Um, And we might finally be able to put to bed the disaster that is student loans, um, at least in part. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I I know you and I will have different opinions on sort of the existing student loan somewhat, because, you know, there's, there are a lot of people who are clamoring to have student loans forgiven. And ultimately, I think while that's um, a quaint idea, it is problematic. Somebody always pays for it. It's never free. However, maybe, maybe a generation that is buried by this borrowing and the promise of better, uh, of better outcomes financially, um, maybe some of that goes away. Maybe more education's delivered remotely. Maybe it's delivered more as a uh, a continuum of learning. I mean, you're still in school. I, I've been in school for forty years, um, and and so perhaps we'll see less of a step one, step two, step three. Less of a, a need. Why why is undergraduate school four years? What is the magic of four <sighs> years? You know, I'm I'm not sure why uh, it's why four years is that magic number, um, but I would agree that I think higher level education is going to change in some shape or form. What I'd like to see, and what I I think makes sense, is for a continuation from high school through college, because really the the college diploma in a lot of ways has become the new standard. It's no longer as much of a, a differentiator for, for individuals anymore. So many people have college degrees that it's kind of the norm at this point. So if the idea is to lower tuition, it might make sense for there to be uh, a path to be created, uh, a more a simplified path from directly from high school through college because like you said, it's important to continue education, and we want our workforce in the United States to be top of the world. So that would be something that I would like to see, more public funding of education in general to help people uh, avoid, not only avoid student loans in general, but to continue their education and really become uh, a professional in their field and to create a new standard and say, you know, even if you do call it 13th through 16th grade, I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but I, I think it starts. It's going to start to make sense to look at it at a different from a different perspective like that. 
Okay, so let me let me push back on you a little and and see sure. where this goes. You know, you, you said 13th to 16th, which again presupposes this is four years and also keeps it linear, um, regardless mm-hmm. of what we call it. Um, there are also lots of different careers that don't require a degree in philosophy. Um, in fact, sure. it might not even help at all. So, and, and that's not to discredit philosophy majors. I was an English major. I found incredible value in liberal arts um, and loved it. I'm just not sure that it, it had as much of an impact on what I do for a living today as had I gone, if I had gone into a, a trade or into a skill, uh, you know, I, I get the educational path for, for doctors or lawyers or accountants or, or financial advisors generally, but there are a lot of people who make real, real good livings who don't either need college degrees or certainly don't need uh, four years of that education. Mm-hmm. Um, 529 plans, college plans are being changed to now include things like uh, apprenticeships, and they've been changed by the SECURE Act back January 1 of this year, which it feels like it was 10 years ago. It was, th- it was three months. Um, <laughs> but I think we're, we're starting to get a wake-up call that in this country, we need people who are educated on lots of different things, lots of different ways. We need infrastructure. We need craftspeople. We need tradespeople. Um, we need folks who can build things, fix things. Um, STEM is a, a start, but... It doesn't necessarily require an engineering degree as much as it does being being skilled and trained and um, and doing internships or apprenticeships to learn a craft from a master. Do you think this will finally do you think we'll finally be able to break the stigma that without a college degree, somehow you are less qualified, capable or bright than someone else? Because I I don't think there's I don't think there's a a one to one ratio there whatsoever. Absolutely. And I I think, you know. We need to get away from that idea, uh, absolutely, because those those types of jobs, like you're saying, are incredibly important and can can pay a lot. I mean, the income that you can make uh, from a job like that can be significant, um, especially when I mean, both sides of the aisle seem to agree right now that in the infrastructure is key in the United States, and we're really going to need to do something to get ourselves into the 21st century. When I, just to go back, um, when I suggested that, you know, uh, college would be a continuation of high school, that may be, you know, some sort of trade program or, or what have you. I think we need to set up different paths for what people are interested in. And, and like you said, it may not be a four-year program. Some may be one, two, four, eight, if you're a doctor, but just to simplify the process because, uh, right now, I mean, I when I graduated high school, I applied to 14 different colleges. Each had their own application fee, um, and I had no idea at the age of 18, you know, really what I wanted to do. Um, I knew what I was interested in, but it wasn't until I got to to college where I really learned a lot more detail about my field. And it wasn't until I met you and started working at BFG when I really started to learn about personal finance. So I think. Like you're, I think we're in agreement that the landscape of things really needs to change, um, especially to put, and I would agree, a more of a focus on those trade type of occupations. But it's just a matter of how and when and uh, what if Congress can act, which uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yes, waiting for the federal government is is to do anything is is alarming, particularly on, in, in current times. So. Um, so let's talk. Mm-hmm. We have a, a couple of minutes left, uh, and I, I want to make sure that we that we do talk about taxes, sure. um, because uh, right now strikes me as a perfect 
I'm not going to call it a storm. I'm going to call it a perfect opportunity for people to do some significant long-term tax planning under current situations. And, and I know there's some duress and I know there's some job instability and there are reasons why people might feel very hesitant to do tax planning, retirement planning, or financial planning right now. But we have a combination of lo- the lowest tax rates in modern history, coupled with a market um, and a variety of markets around the world that have taken 20 to 30% haircuts in value. And we have a bunch, I mean, countless people with IRA accounts where there's the opportunity to convert to a Roth IRA, pay the taxes today while the account is has a lower value and while there's a low tax rate, and then allow the recovery to come, whether it comes over six months or six years is immaterial. As the recovery ultimately does happen, presumably, um, it would happen in an environment where you wouldn't have to pay taxes on the growth. Are you seeing a lot of this? Is this is this hitting home? Absolutely. Um, I'm looking at the tax brackets right now for 2020, actually. And if you are married filing jointly and you make less than $325,000, your highest tax bracket is 24% federally. That is incredibly low when you think about it in terms of that um, that income range. And when I went to – I actually attended the Ed Slot conference uh, back in 2019, and he said that the income tax bracket for that income range has never been lower. So that paired with the fact that these tax rates – by their very nature, are temporary. Uh, There's a sunset provision that expires, I believe, in 2026, so they're automatically going to revert back up to what they were before. Partner that with the $2.2 trillion stimulus plan that Congress just issued out. One would think that tax brackets have to go up um, in some shape or form, uh, probably more significantly uh, than we'd like. And that, in that specific income range, there's an incredible opportunity, in my opinion, to put a ton of money away, cash flow permitting, uh, after tax in Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, even whole life insurance, uh, or, and especially health savings accounts uh, right now, um, really just trying to find those uh, vehicles that you can utilize to the best of your ability where money will never be taxed again because you know, it, it, just a 10% difference in tax bracket uh, could cost people a significant amount of money in retirement. Um, and we want to make sure that we are, we are playing by the rule book that we currently have and taking advantage of it as best we can. Zach, we're at the point in our show where we need to issue our, um, our, our biweekly extra credit assignment. Because as you know, no one likes homework, but everyone likes extra credit. Um, and I, I was thinking, since I haven't given an extra credit assignment in the year and a half we've been doing this show, that I'm going to give one today, and then I'll let you do the same, and we'll close the show. How's that? Sure. My extra credit assignment is going to piggyback off what Zach just said, which is to find ways where you can, you can stash money or move money or recognize taxes now where you do not have to pay them later. Um, there is an ebook online that, um, that I published that I wrote um, and updated for the SECURE Act. So it's, it's only a few weeks old and it is uh, sort of hot off the presses. It's also free. If you go to lowtaxbook.com, download the book. You'll learn a lot about strategies, places where almost every American taxpayer can participate in growing wealth and not paying taxes down the road. 
I happen to agree with you that tax rates are going to go up and possibly by an awful lot. Uh, so it feels like now is the time and 2020 might be the only year to do this. We could see that as soon as 2021, in, in my opinion. So the extra credit assignment is to go to lowtaxbook.com, download the book. And if you'd like to talk about it, we'd love to hear from you. Zach, what's your extra credit assignment? So my extra credit assignment is for everyone out there who who's working from home right now um, and may not be as busy as they typically are during the weekday, I would I would recommend really taking an inventory of all of your finances and getting getting an understanding if you're if you're married with your spouse doing it together because uh, right now take that time that little bit of extra time that you might have and just try to get an understanding of where you stand and what is your tax bracket and understand really where you should be putting money away that is more effi- that might be more efficient than what you're doing now. Zach Scott financial advisor extraordinaire and registered millennial. I appreciate you joining the show. Uh, And you have a new show that's launching later this year yourself, which is very, very exciting, um, called How to Be a Grown-Up, A Millennial's Guide to Life. Uh, and I think that's awesome. I'm excited to uh, to to listen to it uh, and to see it. I understand it's going to be video. Uh, you're mm-hmm. clear. I have a, a I have a face for radio, so I I don't do that. But you absolutely are are on the right track. So good luck with your new show and uh, keep you. doing good things for for BFG's clients. Uh, And with that, please subscribe to our podcast, post comments and reviews, and consider sending us a question, which we might answer in a future episode of Office Hours. For more, go to DontRetireGraduate.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media at BFGFA.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours, and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.